Getting ready to take on spring? Make your first move with the reliable performance and power of steel battery tools. From hedge trimmers and mowers to string trimmers and more, right now you can save $50 on select battery tool sets. Real steel. Offer valid on select AK system sets through June 16, 2024. See participating retailer for details. Ready to go. Outkick 360 back Monday edition. A lot to recap from a packed NFL and college weekend. Monday night football here in Music City as we broadcast live from 6th and Peabody with Old Smoky Moonshine and Yeehaw Beer with Chad Withrow and Paul Koharski. I'm Jonathan Hutton. The entire crew that includes David Reed, our chairman of the board. Glad you're with us across the Outkick network. And uh, we hope that you'll search us on podcast, on YouTube, and find us on some great stations uh, across Tennessee, Alabama, and Kentucky. Gentlemen, a lot to hit today and a lot to preview. Monday Night Football, Titans and Bills later tonight. Plenty to get into. I will uh, tell you guys, and you're going to be happy to learn this. Uh, even as a, a Tennessee grad, I did not bring anything to throw at you guys Thank you. today. Thank you. So I will spare Glad. you from that. No range balls? Uh, there's no range balls, no mustard bottles, no uh, water bottles, no full <laughs> beers. None of that will be tossed in today's show. I just wanted to make that clear. I do think you're going to throw something at us that I'm not going to like. A very tepid, forgiving, accepting response to the whole thing that transpired in Knoxville. If I read the tone of your tweets correctly. Well, what I'm going to throw out is what I said the other night. Anyone who throws something should be arrested. Uh, and there's been 18 arrests already. And there's going to be a lot more people ejected from any Tennessee sporting event for the remainder of the year, and that is now by decree of the SEC on top of a $250,000 fine that was just laid down. Tennessee, which is already going through security footage, is to ban everyone who threw anything from sporting events for the rest of the 21-22 the year, and I think that's the smart move. It's never acceptable to throw things on the field of play. It's a pretty obvious statement. I also think it's a pretty obvious statement when I say that it was a very, very predictable overreaction from a lot of national media acting like this was the worst thing they've ever seen and this has never happened before because it happened in 2018 at the end of a Tennessee Ole Miss basketball game in Oxford and Ole Miss was not even fined at the end of it and there was stuff raining from all over the arena onto the court. Something hit Grant Williams on his way off the court. And there was not a national outcry about it. This has a lot more to do with people hating Tennessee fans, and I understand it because Tennessee fans have been going after these media guys for a while. They're big, they're loud, they're pissed off, and the national media is the exact same way. So all of this reaction is very, very not orchestrated, but predictable. On both sides. Well, this is, uh, if your one daughter does something bad and she says, well, my other daughter did it, what do you say? Well, Paul, I'll say the same to you. When Yankee fans throw batteries and hit King Griffey Jr. in 1995, do you throw out the lot of Yankee fans? 
when your fans throw baseballs onto the diamond, when White Sox fans a week ago throw trash on the field, not because of bad calls and getting robbed, because their team sucked (laughs) and got beat. And at the end of the game, they decide to throw trash on the field. I didn't see national media coming out and saying, White Sox fans are the worst in the country. This is abhorrent behavior. Tennessee, I saw someone say that Tennessee should have a bowl ban because of this. <laughs> well, and that's, that's a guy that I go on a show weekly also, by the way, said that. Jared I, Stillman. I didn't see the, White, said I didn't that. see the White Sox game stop for 20 minutes on national TV. So the, se- so the, after the, the game, when you throw on, it on the field, it's okay. The, se- the stage you're on matters. I've long said that. SEC Network, that stage? Well, it was a big game. It was the biggest game. We, we all agreed it should have been on, uh, on, on better. But look, I've long said you, you are part of what your big fan base is. The misbehavior of a sliver of your fan base, it, it, it's not your fault that they threw stuff. But if you're a Kentucky fan and, and your thing is burning couches, to me, you take on part of that. I do take on part of the Yankee bleacher bums being part of their thing. If I want all the glory of the Yankee fandom, I get a little bit of the negative of the Yankee fans being exceptionally rough. And and I thought that you were taking shots at Lane Kiffin like hamming up the golf ball. Lane Kiffin should have done what most coaches would have done in that situation, taking his team off the damn field and said, I'm not coming back until you guarantee me that this is over and that my team's safe. Lane Kiffin let you guys off the hook by staying out there and enduring the whole thing instead of disappearing and making it a bigger deal that it could have been. Oh, Lane Kiffin loved it. Yeah, Lane did. Kiffin was playing it up. That thing is going to be in his office in yeah, a he's case. Keep that golf ball. He was he had it in a press conference with him. He was hamming it you up. You know how you could have fixed that? Don't throw a golf ball at him. Of then he's course. got nothing to ham up. Paul, no one's going to sit there and him argue into with a, you. Into guilty party. I didn't make him into a guilty party. Where did I make him into You're a guilty saying, party? Oh, he's hamming it up. He's he going to put that golf ball in his thing. I didn't, well, he I doesn't just, have a chance to ham it up if you don't wrong. do stupid stuff. Paul, I didn't say it was wrong. I'm not blaming Kiffin for getting hit with a damn golf ball. Do you think I'm an idiot? I said that Lane Kiffin loves this. Lane Kiffin is going to put that on his mantle. He's got it right there with him. He's already tweeting about golf balls. He put, hey, Tennessee fans, with a bunch of orange hearts. And he had the George Costanza with the golf ball out of his jacket after the game. Kiffin loves this. Kiffin didn't feel in danger. He was catching a water bottle that was thrown at him and threw his visor back. I I thought Kiffin handled it perfectly. This was a... My point is, I'm, I'm thrilled no one got hurt, obviously. And you should never throw anything. But Kiffin was relishing in the now, opportunity in this season. Here's the one he other thing it. I'll say, Hut. The other, uh, other thing, and I don't think Chad was contributing to this, this idea that Vols fans were absolved of this because they've had 15 rough years. Oh, they're 15 rough years of pent-up culminated with these two terrible calls. And, uh, you know, really, it was mild what they did. They could have lit the place on fire because of these 15 miserable years and these two terrible calls. Thank God that's all they did. There, give me a break. You know how many teams have had 15? Never mind 15. Red Sox and Cubs had 100 years of terrible stuff. They didn't, they didn't collectively well, decide one bad call by the umpires was occasion to litter the field with their spit-out tobacco juice in bottles. I mean, and there's no forgiveness for having 15 tough years. Lots of schools have. There has been the same people, though, that are going to act like it's just unprecedented what happened in Knoxville are going to celebrate international soccer where people are killed in the stands. 
where people talk about the passion of soccer and, and far burning. worse things happen. I don't think anybody's there are actual that. There are actual fires going on in the stands. Look, the people who threw stuff at Tennessee, ridiculous. I've talked to multiple people who got hit by something in the stands because someone threw something well, the, the from worst, the upper deck. The, the worst it's, part, it's, Chad, it's was, ridiculous. The, was the band and the cheerleaders getting pelted with stuff. Let, let me, but let's let's talk about the whole thing. You're assaulting here. your own people because well, you some, really showed it. You really showed well, somebody. Just, I mean, if you're an idiot with that, it, it's just it's just kind of it covers all bases. There, it's a blanket statement with those that were throwing things. But we're going to talk about everything on this show, okay? Because the the reaction again, so predictable. And you've got a bunch of Tennessee fans who only want to talk about the calls. And you've got a bunch of media members and everyone else that hates Tennessee only wanting to talk about the stuff being thrown on the field. The stuff thrown on the field took away from what was an amazing electric atmosphere. And Josh Heupel said that after the game. And I understand that's going to be the big takeaway from the fans at the end of it. And I fully expected that to be the case. But we have to also talk about what led to the powder keg of things being tossed on the field. And I'm sorry, SEC, but you have to address this. They refuse to. The SEC put a crew in that game that the only one in history that I, I have read and researched about that I could find that have been publicly suspended, not privately, publicly suspended back in 2009 for affecting the outcome of games. This is the same crew that lost Mississippi State a game against Memphis, that they had to apologize about, that, oh, by the way, a member of this same crew got suspended secretly from the next game for, they put this crew in the biggest powder keg environment possibly of the SEC season, definitely of the week. This, this crew should be working South Carolina Vandy or Missouri well, A&M. It, they should not have assigned this crew to Tennessee and Ole Miss. And I have yet to see anyone that hates Tennessee, national media member, anyone else that tells me that was not a scoop and score touchdown. Uh, that call was ridiculous. But how did that... At it's that, a made-up call. At that Memphis game that you're talking about, how'd the crowd react? Civ- uh, civilized. Paul, the crowd reacts civilized because it was at Memphis and it benefited them. All right, well, go through <laughs> any, any bad call against a home team anywhere. Paul, I'm, not justifying, like I'm not justifying throwing things on the field. But the SEC has to talk about the decision to put this crew who had screwed up other games on this game. Well, it's not just about the crew, though, Chad. This is an SEC problem. Officials across this conference are terrible. This is not just a one-crew issue for the Southeastern Conference. Referees and officials in SEC football stadiums every week are really, really bad. There should be a higher level, a, a different bar that's expected of the best conference in the land, and it's just not there. It, it, it does it, not. There's nothing consistent week to week. The it first just, one's worse. Just, Did anybody answer for the? I mean, forward moment. The guy, I think he forgot no. he had the ball or something. No, Corral, the way he just stood there, there was no whistle. It was it, nobody really claims that they heard a whistle. No, the way no, the referees followed the play into the end zone. The way they that's way it, worse than the spot. They explained way it to worse. Trey Wallace oh, yeah. at Outkick and said that. Uh, in, in some cases, they let the play play itself out, and then they will get together and review notes on the play and then make the call, which is – that's just not how you officiate a game. It's also but not – what, what did their notes say? It's also I mean, exactly he wasn't, what they he wasn't trying to it's, go forward. It's a made-up call. I mean, it's a made-up call to, for whatever reason, not give Tennessee a rightful touchdown. And here's what normally the officials would do. 
exactly what they did up until they called it a, a loss of forward momentum and forward progress. They play it out. You don't blow a whistle if you're not completely sure what happens. You run down the field with a guy running in the touchdown, as they did. And then even if you huddle, you come out of the huddle and say, it's a fumble and a touchdown. Because guess what? It was. You've got review. They called something that was intentionally not reviewable. I smell a rat when that happens. Because every other officiating crew would say, you know what? We have video to look at. Let's call it a touchdown. That's what we did on the field. And then review can see whether or not it was a fumble or if there was an inadvertent whistle or if something happened. I'll tell you what happened. It was a naked play action throw down the middle for a touchdown is what they wanted. It was fourth and short. Tennessee didn't bite. It's a hidden ball trick. Matt Corral fakes it. He's got it behind his back. Tennessee wasn't full. Knocks it out. It up. Runs it back. So it looked like Corral had heard a whistle or something because he stops because he's selling the fake, which Tennessee blew up both the handoff if it would have happened. And stopped him. His short, reaction and then was hit even the quarterback. Was, was just to further the point, though. His reaction normally when a play is busted, the quarterback will panic in that moment. He just stood there Gave and up. acted like he heard a whistle. It was. I mean, I don't know why he reacted the way he did, but Based he acted like the, he acted like he thought the play was dead because he was just limp. I mean, he didn't even try yeah, to move. It's almost like Kiffin taught him that here, way. Here is the... Uh, <laughs> yeah, if it doesn't work, act, like, that, you heard act like you heard a whistle. Here's the statement that they gave to, to Trey Wallace of OutKick on a, this specific play when Trey, over the weekend, asked for explanation. This is from the Southeastern Conference to OutKick. On the play you have referenced, the officials huddled after the play and determined that forward progress had been stopped. Therefore, there was no fumble on the play. It is not uncommon for officials that are not certain in real time of a status of a loose ball to let a play finish before gathering together to compare notes to correctly officiate the play. I'm so, and that's the quote from he the He wasn't SEC. trying to go I'm forward. I'm sorry, but forward that is progress uncommon. Is such that a, is uncommon. It's very well, uncommon. Forward progress is such a cop-out. They do this in the NFL as well. Like, it's a catch-all for a confusing quarterback play. You just call forward progress. He wasn't trying to go forward, so there was no progress to stop. Right. Let me get into the, the other three things in this game that led, when we come back, that led to the powder keg that exploded. And again, understand, Paul and everyone else, I'm not justifying anyone throwing anything on the field. I'm simply explaining the powder keg that was brewing throughout this game that led to an embarrassing moment for Tennessee. We will get to that. We will continue to recap Tennessee Ole Miss, which was quite the game. It was a great game, uh, except for the 22-minute delay uh, right before the, the final possession for Tennessee. We'll get into that. We will discuss what was a big weekend of NFL football as well. And across the SEC, a lot of news and notes throughout today's show. We are just getting started from Nashville. It's OutKick 360. The state of Tennessee, really the center of the sports conversation today. We're talking Tennessee Vols football as Ole Miss wins 31-26 on Saturday night and, and everything that took place uh, during the fourth quarter, uh, from the fans to the field. We will we'll discuss it all. Plus, Monday Night Football tonight, Nissan Stadium, Titans and Bills. Uh, the Bills come in with the top offense and top defense in the NFL. Meanwhile, the Titans come in at 3-2 and two and can right some wrongs from the first stretch of the season with the victory tonight on national TV. We'll preview that coming up in a couple of hours here on the show. Uh, about to dive in headfirst to a lot of SEC discussion, we continue with our talk of Tennessee and Ole Miss, which was a, a really strong game, top to bottom, except for the 22-minute delay. 
and everything that led up to it. Strong on the field, not strong from the officials' standpoint. Yeah, it was, it was a weird game. You know, it was one of those that was memorable because of all the wild uh, twists and turns. I'll say this, too. When Ole Miss took a 24-9 lead and Tennessee punted back to them with time left in the first half to add to that lead, I, I thought Ole Miss was about to blow Tennessee out. So I will give Tennessee some credit for battling back and, and making that a game where they were bad offensively. You know, I, and credit Ole Miss. They were better defensively. I'll get into some of their defensive game planning and what went into that here momentarily. And but, some of uh, UT's offensive choices at times. Yeah, and uh, Josh yeah. Heupel made to me the worst decision of his coaching career at Tennessee so far to attempt a 49-yard field goal. I know it's fourth and 10, but this has been a go-for-it mantra from this coaching staff throughout. That was very much a concession. Well, is that the same that series moment. where they, they ran on second and 17? Well, they ran, so that was a weird... Uh, Tennessee got the ball down 31-26. I think the first time they were down 31-26. Or no, maybe it was 22, whatever. They were down two or three points. Ole Miss misses a field goal. Tennessee gets the ball. They drive down to the Ole Miss 32. They're moving it well. And they run the ball twice for two yards and then threw a very odd deep ball that wasn't close on third down instead of just trying to get eight yards and a first down to keep it going. And that uh, stopped a drive. Really odd that these offenses, too, were the for the majority of the fourth, really the final 13 minutes of the game, it was 31-26. There were no points scored. And that was also an oddity of this matchup. Yeah, UT had three chances. To well, go. you look at the numbers and you think, okay, 510 yards for Ole Miss. I mean, Matt Corral was incredible. Uh, running oh, he the ball, was awesome. 195 yards rushing. Tennessee had 467. Uh, Ole Miss averaged 4.5 yards a carry. Tennessee averaged 4.4. Tennessee averaged 8.4 yards per pass to 5.9. The numbers were pretty even. Both teams had one turnover. Um, so, you know, you would think with those yardage numbers, though, the score would be higher. Uh, but a lot of things led to that. I want to get back, though, to the powder keg that was Neyland Stadium that erupted with 54 seconds left and everything that led to that. The booze before the game for Lane Kiffin, and I thought in typical Lane Kiffin fashion, and I don't I dislike him for this. Paul, don't take this as reading into some context of the tweet that I hate Lane Kiffin for this, but the waving to the student section, the crowd, you know, and, and kind of hamming it up on his way out to the field uh, when they're booing him, it was set for something bad to start happening at that moment. When the refs were gathering together to try to figure out what to do on that scoop and score, Lane Kiffin at midfield talking to officials – and halting the game during that and constantly in an official's ear. I saw a lot of things, a lot of boos being directed at Lane Kiffin when that was going on. There were some other questionable spots in this game, not the, the, just the last one on the 4th and 26 or 4th and 27. Um, and we, guys, we have to discuss the faking of the injuries. I know this is not new. I know that we've seen fans boo when someone looks like they got shot from a sniper and they just hit the deck to try to slow a team down. But I went back and watched. I counted 13 injury stoppages in the second half alone. When I've Tennessee the, I've had got the, ball. the full number. 13 stoppages. Tennessee's offense is predicated on you not subbing and Tennessee not subbing and snapping the ball quick. I, I really think that this college football, the powers that be need to get together and maybe figure out something like a Kiffin rule that prevents this from happening because college football looks a lot like soccer 
when you see people taking dives like this, and that's not good. 18, sit out. 18 injury stoppages, 11 in the fourth quarter. You have to and sit out the whole series if you, if you come out. I think that's a start, Paul. I mean, I think it's if, you, if, you, if the game is stopped for your injury, you don't come back until the, the team has the ball again. For however long that possession lasts, it could be one play, it could be eight. You're out for that amount of time until you can come back in, if you have to stop the game. If you get dinged up and you can jog off the field at any point, then you do so. I, I thought that was ridiculous. Um, not nearly, again, as ridiculous as Tennessee fans throwing stuff on the field. But I heard from a diehard Ole Miss fan and booster that said uh, Ole Miss was covered by the embarrassment of Tennessee fans in Neyland Stadium at the end, but they were quite embarrassed by that display from Lane Kiffin and Ole Miss that they clearly continued to fake injuries to stop Tennessee. Anytime Tennessee got a first down, you, it was like clockwork. You knew someone was hitting the deck to stop it, so they couldn't snap it again quickly. It's very difficult, though, to have a hard and fast rule when there may, and I, I don't disagree with what you're saying. They, he was doing it to slow the tempo and rhythm of the Tennessee offense that had just scored on three previous possessions. And it worked. Uh, yeah, and, and, he, and he did it against Alabama some, too. Um, but with that in mind, there will be... Uh, of the 18 injury stoppages, some three or four were, were legit. You know, and if I'm just throwing, and, and that's tough to to have a hard and fast rule for a guy who maybe loses feeling in his left arm or left leg for a moment, uh, but is able to come back onto the field later in a drive that continues into the red zone. Like I, that, that to me is uh, is punishment for a guy who couldn't get up well, in and, time. And, you know, and we could we could work with this potential change. In so should, maybe, should maybe Hendon Hooker, who went down, maybe not be allowed to back in that drive? Maybe it's three plays. Again, I think it's only. First off, they had a 10-second runoff for his injury, so Tennessee was penalized for that, a legitimate injury, which that's part of the rules. Uh, it's got to be a defensive a defensive injury. I'm not saying – I'm saying in, at any point in the game, should Hendon Hooker not be allowed back in the game if he no, can't but get I, up? No, but I don't know why you would fake an injury on offense to slow down your own offense. Just so to get an extra injury, But you're rolling then your least important defensive lineman, you're rolling through your it's least why important they, defensive lineman to do it, and you don't care. It's why they have that rule, though. They had a runoff because of the injury, so Tennessee couldn't get a, an extra timeout in because he couldn't physically take the snap. He was trying to. He tried to hobble back the line, then, then hit the deck because he couldn't move. So that's why they had the runoff on offense. Again, it's, if it's used on defense, if it's a defensive player that's injured, maybe it's three plays and not the full, maybe... It's too punitive to say take off the whole possession. But if you're going to run off the field and everyone's going to sub, maybe it's just the injured player can sub. If it's a, if it's a no-huddle offense and one guy's injured and that's what stops the, the snap from happening, maybe it's you run that one guy off and then he can come back the next play. But you can't mass sub, which Ole Miss was doing. That was their opportunity to get other subs in that were getting tired if Tennessee was snapping the ball quickly. Either way, I think something needs to be done but all of these things, it's just, and it's, there's no excuse, but I could sense, boy, if this review doesn't go Tennessee's way on that spot, something bad could happen. And unfortunately, it did. And I'm not making any uh, apologies for Tennessee fans who threw stuff. It's ridiculous. And they showed their ass in that moment. But you could sense some of this stuff was happening. I'll say this on the spot in the end, on the 4th and 27. First off, I'm shocked that we're talking about them being that close on a 4th and 27 to getting the first down. I thought in live play watching on television, he clearly got the first down. And I think I still to this 
moment believe the spot was horrendous, about a yard and a half behind where he actually had the ball. I'll also say, I can't tell you definitively he got his left hand and the ball over the line to make, but I'll also tell you, watching a lot of football, typically if the ref is in position, which that one was 20 yards behind the play, they award the first down to the player. It's one of those calls, and you guys tell me if you agree, if they put it on the line and it was barely a first down, it wouldn't have been overturned, and then where they put it, it wasn't going to be overturned. It was going to stick regardless of where they put the ball. Yeah, that first official. down. That was just unfortunate for Tennessee. It was placed where it was, but I can't sit here and tell you definitively he definitely got the first down. I do think it was a lot closer than where the ball was spotted. I don't there. know the mechanics for that official, but the only important thing there is going to be the – the line to gain no doubt so why don't you have a head start on getting to the line to gain <laughs> well and um he was so far behind the play yeah i saw brent hubbs write about this and his uh, thoughts from the game he went back and watched the play he said the guy doesn't move no until after the ball is thrown he said so it is a dart down the middle so he's running he's at the line of scrimmage the ball's thrown deep down the middle and then he starts running after the ball's in the air so he's never on top of the play Again, not, I thought the initial close. spot was bad. I'm also not going to sit here and say definitively that left arm got completely over the line to gain, but it was much closer than where they spotted. It's odd that he was reaching with his non-ball arm. It's kind of an awkward It's It's how he got hit, too. You know, he catches, he gets hit on the left side, and he didn't really have a chance to shift the ball to his right. He's so he's kind of reaching out, trying to get anything he can with the ball tucked on his left side. Things we learned from the SEC weekend... Here's, uh, can I just go back one yeah. more thing on UT? Here, here's the sequence. I found the sequence that I, I would piss me off if I was a Tennessee fan. Their uh, third to last position possession, they, uh, they get a penalty. So they're first and 19 after a holding call. First and 19, they run small for three yards. Second and 16, they run small for one yard. They're in third and uh, – then it, it reads third and 17 and Hooker through incomplete. But why are you running on first and 19 and second and 16 there uh, down 31-26? Seems uncharacteristic, and, and you're not going to – I mean, maybe on the first one you're trying to get half the yardage. On the second one, you got to throw. Well, Tennessee's offense got moving in the second half when they finally started running Hendon Hooker. I'd, I think part of the first half – and I'm not making excuses for Josh Heupel on this, and he's the last guy to make excuses, and he made none after the game – I think when Cade Mays and Cooper Mays went out and they had a, a, a walk-on at right tackle and they gave up four sacks in the first half, I think the play calling shifted a lot more to we are going to try to run the ball behind center as opposed to creating a pocket. Now, my response to that would have been let's maybe move the pocket and get Hendon Hooker mobile more often, rolling out or the threat to run instead of just running it with the running back up the middle. I don't know if uh, – I know Hooker came into the game a little banged up. If that had something to do with it, he sure looked fine in the second half when he came it, out and it started running it. So, th to me, that's an easy second guess on Heupel. And, again, the attempted field goal, I thought – it just it didn't feel like going down two instead of five mattered. I, I like Tennessee's chances in that spot of getting 10 yards and going down to score and take the lead as opposed to making it a two-point game. Now, it turned out it would have mattered greatly – because if he hits it, Tennessee's kicking a field goal on that last play instead of Joe Milton running out of bounds at the 10-yard line. Also, ball. end the game, Joe Milton running out of bounds. Play before that, I think we all agree, it looked great, like they were very close to a touchdown. It hit his hands, and lots of times you say if it hits a guy in the hands, 
he should catch it. In this instance, it was out of his reach. He didn't make the greatest jump ever, and it was not a catchable ball. So it looked great, like they almost got a touchdown catch there, but it really wasn't a ball that he was going to catch. And then the running out of bounds thing, I just never want to see him again. I don't know what he's thinking, and I, I, I don't know how he's coached, uh, how he's not coached better given all the downtime uh, that was leading up to that drive. I mean, I, I, I watched Josh Heupel's coach's show, and I've never seen him more exasperated. He almost put his headset down and wouldn't comment on it, but said, in this right here, there's no excuse for it. You can't have it. Joe steps out of bounds knowing that was the final play. I mean, at least put your there shoulder There was three down, seconds right? and a timeout by Ole Miss. I mean, you know the play and that you have to throw it to the end zone. I, I don't. Well, no, that's he, just an ex- extremely he's passed the line of scrimmage. Play. He's passed the line of scrimmage, so he's got to run to the end zone instead but of step out of bounds. But you don't pass the line of scrimmage. Right. Don't pass the line of scrimmage. I mean, you've got when he's rolling to his left, Again, even after the pressure, you have to just throw it up for grabs into the end zone. For whatever reason, he decided to tuck and run after he realized he was past the line of scrimmage, and then just get he got out of bounds well after the triple zero. I don't, I don't know why he didn't try to do more than that. That was that even was even if he makes uh, the decision to run Hutton on that, you got to try to run someone over or flush it or down. something. It was it was a truly dumb play from Joe Milton, and and I, I really feel like if Hendon Hooker's in that game and doesn't get hurt two plays before, the way Tennessee got that huge punt return, they're in territory. He gets a big gain on first down on that big run. It felt like that game was so nuts that Hendon Hooker would have either run the ball in himself for a touchdown on the play before or thrown it in for a touchdown. Instead, Joe Milton comes in, does that. And, Paul, I'm with you on this one. You start Harrison Bailey if Hooker's not. I don't think Hooker's going to be ready to go for Alabama. Give Harrison Bailey a look. I've seen enough of Joe Milton's decision-making at this point. Three things we learned from the SEC weekend. Let's start with uh, the game in Knoxville and with the other quarterback, Matt Corral, who to me is now the, the clear he was already the favorite, but now he's the clear favorite for the Heisman after that performance. Uh, and just to put it in perspective here of just how good he was, he nearly accomplished something we've only seen 13 times over the last 21 seasons. And, and I'll explain. He, so he ends up with 30 carries for 195 yards. The 195 here is key. 231 yards passing and two touchdowns. He had half of his team's carries. More than 67% of his team's rushing yards were Matt Corral. And he also threw for 231. Now, he took that loss for five yards on that play where he was rolling out to the right. Had he not done that, he would have had 200 yards rushing and 200-plus yards passing in the same game. Only 13 players have done that in the last 21 seasons. And that would put him in a group with guys like Vince Young, Johnny Manziel... Antoine Randall, Lamar Jackson, Pat White, Denard Robinson. I mean, this guy would have accomplished something that we just quite frankly don't see year to year. The great college quarterbacks pull it off, and really that's it. He's one of them. He was outstanding in this game, and he was unstoppable despite the fact that everybody knew exactly what was going to happen, including those in the press box that it, it, the broadcasters were pointing out, hey, make sure you've got a spy on Matt Corral. It didn't matter. It simply did not matter against this guy. Yeah, even when Tennessee had a spy with Aaron Beasley or Jeremy Banks, he would make the miss, that, or he would or shed a tackle and still yeah. go and get the first down. I, I was truly impressed. It reminded me a lot of another performance I witnessed 
in Neyland Stadium in 2015 with Baker Mayfield in Oklahoma. He single-handedly willed his team to victory, and he did it with a moxie and a presence that was impressive from the start. He used that crowd and that energy, and every play there was a chip on his shoulder uh, from the start of the night. And he was without some of his weapons also. The best wide receiver, starting tight end. You know, the wide receiver went out during the game. Tight end was out. He knew he had to run more in that game to get them the win. I was very impressed with Matt Corral and, and leave that game thinking, I don't know if you guys agree, but from every quarterback I've seen this year, he's the best. Yes. And he's the Heisman Trophy winner right now. Yeah. I, I don't see who's catching him. He was terrific. I, Tennessee's got to do better once they know that he's running that regularly. I really think, though, it is pick your poison with Tennessee defensively and really anyone against Ole Miss. I mean, they're averaging 50 points a game, and Tennessee held them right. to 31. Tennessee's defense played well. Seven points in the second half, which is shocking. When you look at that box score, that's what Ole Miss scored. Um, but it's just, I think Tennessee said, we're going to not let them beat us deep through the air. We are going to continue to stop the running backs the way we've done all year. And if Matt Corral can have an insane game running the ball, that's what's going to beat us. Tennessee bet on that, and then it backfired because that's what Matt Corral did. Some of that stuff, though, I just felt like, you know, a 20's got to be 12. You know, you got, you got to find a way to, to tighten it up. Though, I mean, it just had to be incredibly frustrating to watch him go and not be able to, to find, find a way. And Tennessee took their look. I mean, they, they, they pounded him in some case. I mean, he was – He took some shots. Yeah, he did. He's I mean, tough. He's, he's he had tough. to come Absolutely. out for a play, too. Absolutely. A big I, third I was, down play. I was impressed. Um, and how could you not be? Uh, number number By the way, two. You want, to, you want to talk about a, t- a tough spot? How about the true freshman from Starkville, Mississippi, coming in at quarterback for that one play? And I'm, I'm watching that by myself downstairs, pacing yeah. at this moment, and I'm thinking, <laughs> this kid might die on this play in that moment it, with third and 18 or whatever it was. <laughs> and they tried to throw a screen pass, and I think he got leveled. The receiver got leveled. It looked like a fumble almost, like he threw it behind. Nowhere close to the receiver. Uh, that was, that was a, quite the tense moment for a true freshman to come into a game. Uh, number two, Georgia has all the answers, period. Now, they may not have the go-to quarterback, Stetson Bennett and others. Like, they have all the answers to anything you're bringing offensively. Kentucky's not a bad team. Uh, and Kentucky maybe fared better than what you would have placed on FanDuel with a 30-13 to final. But this game was not close. And it was because of the depth up front on the defensive line for Georgia and, and the fact that even, even with Kentucky's solid offensive line and run game, they stood no chance. This run game never got started on Saturday against Georgia's front. And they, they are the clear, just like we're talking Corral's the clear Heisman front runner. And you could argue he was prior to the game against Tennessee. Now we, everybody knows. Georgia is far and away the best team in the country. And it's not close. Not close right now. And can, talking about they, can, they have an answer for everything, I thought that drive to make it 14-7 to from Kentucky was one of the more well-executed and called drives of the football season from Liam Cohen, the offensive coordinator. They, they did everything, every different look you can think of to execute a drive down the field to score seven. Yeah. On George. That's what it took, though. It took every bit of creativity and they're exhausted. to have one drive to make it 14-7 to seven and interesting for a while. And even Kirby Smart said so in the halftime interview. Uh, we were headed back, Hutton, listening to the Georgia broadcast with DJ Shockley, and Kirby Smart said, well, you know, they, they did a lot on that drive. we got to figure out a way to stop some of the things they're doing, but they showed us a lot, 
And that's what it takes to score on Georgia. And consider Ole Miss ran 61 plays in the first half against Tennessee. Georgia ran 47 offensive plays. And they end up with 400, 420 yards. I mean, nothing they do on offense is elite, but they they play so well to their strengths. And they are, they are deep at so many positions where it's important across the SEC. I, I mean, it shouldn't have been a surprise. I, I think. Well, it's not a surprise. I, I don't feel that much differently about them than I felt going in. I, I figured they would do this, and they did. Well, I mean, it, I, I pointed out because did you see what Iowa? Iowa's number yeah. two in the country, no. and they lose to Purdue because Purdue dominated them. Yep. That, Iowa, you're not doing that to Iowa, Georgia. Yeah, we knew Iowa was not that good. Jill must have been in a lovely mood. There, there's one team ahead of Iowa going into the weekend in the rankings. And they got whooped. Jeff Brom, second win over number two ranked team in the country, beat Ohio State a few years ago also. That, that was a great performance. Yeah, Purdue's got a we, thing for number two. We also, I, I need to ask you guys at some point in, in another segment, um, fair or foul on Mark Stoops calling the timeout after taking seven and a half minutes off the clock on the final <laughs> drive, just trying to run the clock out to beat the spread, to score a last-second touchdown that pissed off a lot of people that had Georgia minus the points in that game. Third takeaway is LSU is still playing hard and and playing well, quite frankly, at least against Florida this past weekend. Ed Orgeron's out. We'll we'll discuss that later in the show when we come back. Some overall takeaways from the NFL weekend that was jam-packed with action and some solid finishes. And it leads up to tonight's game, Monday Night Football, Titans and Bills. This is Outkick 360. Some great finishes across the NFL yesterday. There have been 22 games with a game-winning score in the final minute of regulation or in overtime this season. That's the most we've ever seen through six weeks in the history of the game, and still one game to play tonight. I I thought it was interesting. All the contenders took care of all the bottom feeders this week across the league. Some blowouts as well. Um, Some really bad games uh, where... Again, the good teams, they suffocated the bad ones. I tell you, one, one team that came out on the losing end, uh, Panthers. But Sam Darnold, to get that team into overtime uh, with the Vikings, made some incredible throws, a couple really good throws at the end of that game that impressed me. Carolina's going the wrong direction right now. Uh, you and I like them. I, I think they'll find their footing eventually and still be a wild card-ish team. Um, the Vikings got him in the end, but Darnold made some really good throws late in that game that, that made me feel pretty decent about him for what he is right now. See, I feel more certain now about Kirk Cousins, who is having a very quiet yeah, really but is. solid season. His numbers, he has thrown three or more touchdowns and zero interceptions in five of his last eight games, going back to last year. He's got good people. Uh, he's done so, he did it 11 times since the start of 2020. Uh, only one quarterback has been better than that in that category of three touchdowns, no interceptions. Aaron Rodgers. There's Aaron Rodgers and there's Kirk Cousins. Uh, the the some Vikings people, had 571 yards of total offense. Some people are listing him on MVP counts now. I'm not big on the early MVP talk. He will not win MVP. 13 touchdown passes to only two interceptions. Um they 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 were good yesterday. Uh, Carolina did a decent job of getting back in that game. They had they got the yeah, two they point dead. conversion, twenty eight all went to overtime. Um, McCaffrey on injured reserve though Kills has them. just killed them. And the good news it's for Carolina set, set to keep their playoff hopes alive: 
a lot like the Titans, they need to win these upcoming games against some bad teams. They will play the Giants and the Falcons over the next two weeks, and then McCaffrey's eligible to return. So yeah. uh, McCaffrey's back on injury reserve. Top game of the week, Cardinals taking care of the Browns, 37-14, and it wasn't even that close. Cardinals are 6-0. and Four of those six games have been on the road. And yesterday they did it without their head coach, without their quarterback coach, and they had another player out due to COVID. Uh, they had their assistant wide receivers coach calling plays to Kyler Murray, and they put up 37 points against the Cleveland Browns defense. The Browns, uh, we talked about this on Friday. I, I want to like the Browns. I, I got to be down on the Browns. They've lost to Kansas City. They've lost to the Chargers, and they've lost to the Cardinals. They've beaten Houston, the Bears, and the Vikings. The Vikings win looks a little bit better. But if you're a Browns fan right now, you got to really think like, hey, when, when we've been pushed on, we've not gotten it done. Well, yesterday was more about who they didn't have available. Yeah, and they're, not, they're hurt in a bad way. They're, both their running backs are hurt. Their quarterback's playing with that shoulder, and well, their he, offensive line was a mess. Not only is he playing with it, he re-aggravated it yesterday during the game. Well, uh, I, watching that game, he re-aggravated the shoulder. They did not have their starting tackles playing in this game. They did not have Jarvis Landry. They did not have their starting two running backs. Meanwhile, Cincinnati takes care of the Lions. Pittsburgh claws mm -hmm. back to some life against Seattle. Mm -hmm. And uh, and Baltimore looks like, you know, it, it could stake a claim for being the best team in the AFC. I, I said it on Friday. If Arizona takes care of Cleveland and wins going away, they're the best team in football, hands down. I believed it going into this weekend. I definitely believe it now. But Baltimore... Uh, Baltimore, you're right, really, has a claim really the best good. in the AFC. But That's I, a I bad still And I asked that right question now. on Friday. That's I a said, bad true or false? Up. The winner of that game stakes claim to among the, the best in the AFC, and I, I think you guys wanted to see more. Baltimore was impressive because that six days after they had to claw their way back in a win against Indianapolis, and then they just demolished the Chargers. The Chargers, the Chargers are going into their bye week this week. Long flight home because they were just flat. That they 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 were down fourteen nothing. The the Ravens came out yesterday and had two straight possessions to open the game with touchdown drives, and that's all that's all she wrote. That's a really bad matchup for the Chargers, and I know it's it's not good for your weakness to be run defense, but the Chargers that's not where they thrive. I think the Chargers remain a very dangerous team, but Baltimore's not anybody they want to see, and if they've got to go through Baltimore come playoff time, which seems almost inevitable they're they'll be in trouble that was a bad matchup and the ravens just took care of business well why like is it a bad matchup rip, they, they get praised for off. the way they played lamar jackson in the playoffs um well the just the the way they run now with staley and then they the, the, from what i saw the the commentators were talking about um not not best equipped to uh to defend the the run and the run style of the Ravens now. I'll say this for the Ravens, and I think you're spot on, Hutton, with them now emerging as maybe the best in the AFC. I don't know what defense is equipped to handle Baltimore yeah, if Lamar Jackson tough. is throwing it the way he is. When, because you know the running ability That's not with about, him. Well, I mean, but it, when, he's, yeah. when he's accurate the way he's been the last couple of weeks and playing that way, with their, their running game overall, I don't know who's equipped to I don't want to like them, but they're terrific. 187 right? rushing yards as a team yesterday against the Chargers defense. And uh, all of those veteran backs got in the end zone, all three of them. Well, let's talk about that because there's going to be teams this year that are going to point to injuries early in the season as to why they didn't accomplish certain goals. This is a Ravens offense that lost J.K. Dobbins, Gus Edwards, and Justice Hill before they even got out of the gate. And they went out and signed 
Latavius Murray, Le'Veon Bell, and Devontae Freeman. Veterans on the scrap heap of the NFL free agency wire. And they are running all over teams. There were jokes made about Making no how excuses many, about it. I think Armando made, uh, made a joke about how many sandwiches Le'Veon Bell had. He's wearing a single digit at, at seven, I think. And he looked thin. Who? Uh, Le'Veon Bell. Oh, he's wearing 17. 17? Uh, sorry. And it, it's, it's a thinning number. And he looked thin to me. Here's, this is why you have to like the way Baltimore works, right? Almost every team in the league would go with their young guys. And they go out and get three old guys and make it work. It's impressive. The Ravens with 140 yards rushing outside the tackles against the Chargers defense. They did it on the edges and they gashed them throughout this game. Plenty of headlines from the NFL weekend back to college football as well. A full hour recap headed your way next on Outkick 360.